Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! General? Would you care to step outside? Superman! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Oh, please. Please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Inside the Sequel, a sequel movie podcast. Uh, my name is Chris, and this is the show where we talk about sequels. Sequels that may or may not have lived up to uh, the hype or the expectation of its re- its predecessor. Um, so what is a sequel? Um, a sequel is obviously a movie that builds or continues on um, the story or the characters of, er- of an earlier work. Um, if you're listening now, you're wondering, or if you're watching here on YouTube, um, you get to see me wearing this really cool Altered Carbon t-shirt. Ah, man, I'm going to miss that show. I, I had a friend, Seth, who absolutely loves this TV show, and it got canceled. Bummer. Um, but anyway, I'm sure you're wondering, hey, Chris, why sequels? And my reasoning is this. So generally, when we talk about movies, the the sequel doesn't get as much of a praise. We we champion and we adore and cherish the original work, um, but the sequel usually gets lost in you know the criticisms or the or people laughing and making fun of them. Um, but you know I find something about sequels interesting, and that is that you can really tell a person based on their the sequels that they like. Um, also, I think sequels just get a really bad rap and. I think that's just really unfortunate. Uh, I think that also there aren't that many sequels that kind of are talked about as much. There are a few really good sequel um, podcasts that uh, I've been listening to. But what I've noticed mostly is that they talk about a lot of the the generic, the very popular sequels that we all know and love. Like the Star Wars, the Indiana Jones, the Marvel. Um, But I don't see a lot of sequel deep cuts or remakes for that example. So that's what this podcast is going to be all about, is we're going to talk about sequels, we're going to talk about how they're great, how I, if I recommend them or not, and we're going to have really fun guests on this show, and we get to just go through memory lane and recommend and re- recommend rewatching some old sequels that you, maybe you missed out on or you didn't give, um, a, you need to give a second chance. So I'm excited for this podcast to start. Now I know a few of you are probably tuning in from my previous podcast, which was the Hurtastic podcast. That show is no longer, this is the new show, the Inside the Sequels, because I frankly wanted more of a direction for my show, and then also in terms of my YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to and watch me do, you know, Blu-ray reviews, uh, movie reviews, top fives, that's called the Hurtastic uh, Hurtastic Reviews, excuse me, and uh, that'll be the main website in the hub. But I'd love for this show, it'll be on iTunes, Spotify, um, we'll have recordings um, put out on the cha- on the YouTube channel as well, to, if you want to see how I look when I talk, <laughs> uh, you can do that. So, um, the, re- the reason I wanted to do this show also is because I find myself when I'm with friends, just people on Twitter and whatever, t- we're talking about movies, I often turn to sequels. I feel like sequels 
we all love these original movies. Nightmare on Elm Street is my biggest example. We all love Nightmare on Elm Street. There's nothing, there's not one bad thing that can be said about that movie. But instead of talking about those original works, my friend Daniel, who's the host of Cobwebs, um, the Gothic Cinema Podcast, he said it best once when I was on there that there are smarter and better people than me to talk about those movies. But I want to talk about the movies I like more that aren't talked about as much. And I think that's true here too with sequels. And that's what I hope to do. So a little history about me, if you aren't familiar with any of my works um, and like what my tastes are in movies. Um, I absolutely love horror movies, um, but I'm not just, you know, putting myself in just that box of talking about horror movie sequels. Of course, a lot of sequels are horror related, um, but that's not going to be the case. We're going to talk about a bunch of other sequels as well. Um, but some of my earliest movies I remember watching and loving were sequels. I mean... Uh, I remember not watching Nightmare on Elm Street the first time, but watching all the sequels. I'm talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, Nightmare 3, The Dream Warriors, The Dream Master, The Dream Child, uh, Freddy's Not Dead, New Nightmare, um, you know, watching the Scream movies, Scream 1, 2, and 3, and then 4, you know, the Rocky movies. Just, you know, sequels have always been where, I, where I've been. And when I talk about some of my favorite movies, a lot of them usually are sequels. And I think it's because... There's not much else that can be said about some of these original works, but there's a lot that needs to be said and defended on with sequels. So that's what I hope to do with this show. Um, some of my favorite movies, obviously, are going to be like the sci-fi movies, so like Alien, Predator, um, Terminator, all movies that have sequels, mind you. Superhero movies like the X-Men films, the early Superman movies with Christopher Reeves, um, you know, those are going to be things we're going to be talking about on this show, and I cannot wait till we get to that. We're going to have really great guests on the show as we continue on, but for today, you're going to have to go through the mud with just me. Um, but one thing we also are not just going to only just talk about sequel movies, but we're going to talk about, you know, the releases as well. When we talk anything about movies, what can't be said about Blu-ray physical media releases, and that is something I'm passionate about. As you can see behind me, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, I have a lot of movies. I talk about a lot of movies from boutique labels. And a lot of times these boutique labels are the only way possible to get your hands on some of these Blu-rays. Some box sets as well. When I think, um, like let's say Arrow for example, when I think about sequels there, the Hellraiser Scarlet box set, the Phantasm box set, um, the Friday the 13th Scream Factory box set that's coming out. Um, you get the Hills Have Eyes Part 1 and 2 from from uh, Arrow. Uh, Scream Factory is putting out sequels all the time because the, the originals have their own Blu-ray releases by the big studios. Um, so yeah, I'm just really excited about that. I'm really excited to explore some movies and recommend some deep cut sequels for people um, that maybe a lot of people kind of like just passed off or didn't even know about, you know. Um, but for today, we're going to start with something classic. We're going to wind down and kind of start from the very beginning. And what I mean by that is we're going to talk about 1935's The Bride of Frankenstein. I think you know why I am here, Henry. All the necessary preparations are made. My part in the experiment is complete. I have created by my method a perfect human brain, already living but dormant. Everything is now ready for you and me to begin our supreme collaboration. No, no. Don't tell me of it. I don't want to hear. I've changed my mind. I won't do it. I expected this. I thought we might need another assistant. Perhaps he can persuade you. 
Nothing can persuade me. We shall see. No, not that. Oh, he's quite harmless. Except when crossed. Now, The Bride of Frankenstein is the sequel, one of the earliest sequels from the 1931 James Whale film Frankenstein, um, part of the Universal Monsters collection. Um, I wanted to talk about it because I haven't seen Frankenstein or The Bride of Frankenstein, so I knew I wanted to do this podcast. I knew I wanted to get a lot of these Universal Monsters out of the way, so I figured, hmm, this is a match made in heaven to start this podcast. So... I kind of want to talk a little bit about James Whale before we get on to Bride of Frankenstein. So The Bride of Frankenstein, uh, directed by James Whale, he was a British-born uh, director, and he did a few works before um, Universal originally had the director, Robert Florey, who I'm not very familiar with his work. I know he did. A, he was known for making a lot of B-movie um, B movies back in the day, but he did worse with Barbara's, um, uh, Stanwyck and Raymond Land. So definitely not ultra B movie like you think, but, um, he definitely did things, um, that weren't as well known. I feel like if he did movies, they're probably going to be on Kino, if I'm being honest, which is a boutique label, which I absolutely love. Um, but he was slated to do Bride of, uh, the original Frankenstein, but, Bela Lugosi, who was also supposed to be in Frankenstein, did not want to do it. He had done Dracula, and he didn't want to do Frankenstein. So this gets thrown on um, James Whale, who also had done a Howard Hughes film prior to this. Um, He was given control to take this movie, um, and he brings unknown Boris Karloff to star in this movie. And what I loved about the original uh, Frankenstein, after finally watching it very recently, I did a back-to-back double with uh, Frankenstein and the Bride, is um, I love the beginning title cards um, with the introduction and then not giving away who plays the monster, which is Boris Karloff's. Um, I just really like that. I think that's so cool. Um, But um, Frankenstein became a smash hit. Karloff became a star and James Whale ended up doing The Invisible Man with Claude Rains, which I haven't seen. I've only seen The Wolfman uh, from Lon- with Lon Chaney Jr. Um, and eventually, after working on a few other things, James Whale gets tapped to do Bride of Frankenstein, which is interesting because when, you, when Blu-ray box sets of the Universal Monster movies are put out, Bride of Frankenstein is always included and is so well-regarded, but it's a sequel. That's so interesting. And... So I have, I, I've been always curious to watch it and figure out why. One thing about James Whale I think that's important to know is he was an openly, uh, openly gay man, which was definitely uncommon during its time that time. But he, he, he flaunted. He didn't care. He was very open about it. And to me, I think that's really cool. I think what a, what, a, what a boss thing to do is just to you know, be who you are during that time of judgment. I, I'm sure his, you know, his career was maybe put on jeopardy at times. But I mean... I think it's just so cool that he did not shy away and he did these really cool um, early horror movies. I mean, I'm just like, what? Like, that's just so cool to me. Um, but yeah, the the first Frankenstein movie is iconic. And then now with Bride of Frankenstein um, is equally iconic. Uh, so, so yeah, we're, we're, we're going to dive into that in just a second. Um, but I'm curious to know if you're listening... Um, do you remember watching these Universal Monster movies, especially Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein? Because I didn't grow up watching them. Uh, so watching them as an adult, I feel like 
my viewpoint might be a little different. I'm excited to get into it. Um, I when I first watched when I finally watched Frankenstein, I kept thinking this is an early horror movie, and man, there was some stuff in there that really got me. It was kind of like watching like Alien for the first time. Um, I you know what's actually really funny when I watch Godzilla, I kind of think about this guy, another who's also part of sequel movies, Godzilla. Um, because Godzilla was a, you know, a man-made thing, um, destroying man, um, is like punishment. And that's what Frankenstein was created by man. And he punishes man. Um, and it's kind of like a sad ending for Godzilla. Same way. It's a sad ending for Frankenstein until you get the sequel <laughs> that kind of throws that ending, uh, you know, out the window. Um, uh, but man, see, I, you can tell I love sequels already. <laughs> Just wait till we start talking about Alien, the Alien franchise, and like Alien Resurrection, and we talk about Godzilla franchise, the fran- like the series. You know, like Ibira Horrors of the Deep. I cannot wait to talk about that. Um, but anyway, let's let's talk about the Bride of Frankenstein. So the Bride of Frankenstein starts um, with the author Mary Shelley um, describing her novel to two men who are just gushing over how fantastic her novel was but she's also saying like well man i'm not done with the story yet so she goes and flashes to near the ending of the original frankenstein movie um but it's not the actual ending but it's like near the end where the monsters with henry frankenstein the creator which is funny to me because i always thought um the frankenstein mom scientist was victor frankenstein but it's henry frankenstein and he's being carried by the monster and the sawmill. Very iconic. And, you know, that's, you know, if you've read the book, you know, that's how it goes. And uh, the sawmill gets burned down. And the sequel takes place immediately right after that, where there's the farmer who whose daughter died in the first movie. Uh, and in this sequel, he is so wanting to see the monster die that he goes to where the burned sawmill is um to make sure that the monster has died and when he falls down the pit hole the monster is still alive he's back baby and the monster strangles and kills the farmer just you know kind of similar to how his daughter died by getting drowned um and the monster climbs out from the rubble and it still bores Karloff looking awesome with the amazing makeup but there's a witness there who sees him come up and that is Minnie, um, the, kind of like an older woman. She's played by Una O'Connor, who um, was re- I was really happy to see her because she was also in the movie that I saw from Billy Wilder, which is actually her last film called um, Witness for the Pop Prosecution. Um, she was also in The Invisible Man, if you've seen that movie. I haven't yet. Um, and she was in a few Earl Flynn movies. I believe The Adventures of Robin Hood and Seahawk was another one. Uh, she was also in a Criterion release film called Clunny Brown as well. She basically in this movie plays the scared, shrieking, funny old woman. She's not that old, but I call her that because I, I keep thinking of Witness for the Prosecution. Um, and just warning the, everyone that, hey, the Frankenstein monster is still alive. Um, and Henry Frankenstein... Though thought to be dead at the end of the first movie, he's actually carried back to his wife, Elizabeth, and he's actually still alive. Um, And he vows that he's never going to create again after being so evil and wanted to create man. Um, He's he's off it now. He's he's not doing that. Um, However, he is visited by his mentor, which his mentor has like the coolest name of any movie. Uh, his name is Dr. Septimus Pitorius. 
such a cool name. And he's absolutely mad. He is insane. He's just a tall, thin man. He looks evil and crazy. Um, but he's here to, to, to get Henry to create more. Even though Henry is off of it, he just wants to be married and be done with all this. But it's okay because, you know, he decides to help his old mentor. Um, Dr. Pretorius shows um, Henry what he's already created, which are these mini people, like a mini king, a mini queen, a dancer, um, very flamboyant. And um, eventually um, they have this really cool toast that I really like <laughs> where Dr. Pretorius goes, to, to a new world of gods and monsters. And I think that's just so cool. Before I show you the results of my trifling experiments, I would like to drink to our partnership. Do you like gin? It is my only weakness. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> um, and then we cut away to the monster. Um, in this movie, the monster is constantly being chased and being hunted throughout the whole movie. Uh, but eventually, he stumbles upon a cabin where he sees an old man playing a violin, playing the Ave Maria. Um, you know, the Ave Maria. I, I just, I'm going to stop singing there. But you get the picture. He's, he's playing this on the violin. The, the monster likes it. And uh, you find out the old man in there is blind. Um, so you can't tell that he's with a monster, but he's been so lonely that he wants a friend. And the monster knows that he's safe with this man, and the man is feeding him and taking care of him and getting really close to him, wink, wink. And they become friends, and they start living together, and it's kind of cute. And you, you feel bad for both these characters because the blind man is just so lonely, but he's so happy to have someone, and the Frankenstein monster is being taught how to talk and he's being fed and it bores call off just he's so i have this struggle with the monster where i feel so bad for him but i also know he's not good either but he's not it's not his fault it's not his fault and i just feel so bad that's good writing that's a good character right there it's making me feel conflicted but eventually um nothing lasts forever um two men stumble upon the hut and they see the blind man with the monster and they, as um, in the first movie, shoot him. He's a monster, you know. And they, they, they start attacking the monster, and the monster resists. And eventually, the blind man's hut gets burned down, <laughs> which I feel like he's the ultimate loser at the end because he loses his house and he doesn't have a friend anymore. Um, but the monster escapes to a graveyard where um, he notices Doctor Pretorius's henchmen digging for dead bodies, and there he meets Doctor Pretorius. Pretoria, excuse me, and uh, he, he has some wine and some cigars, and the Frankenstein monster is all about that now after the blind man showed him some good vices, bad vices, actually. And the Dr. Pretorius, who has recently shown that Henry is not willing to help him anymore with these creations. He's off it. He, mostly because Elizabeth, his, his new wife, does not want to have his her his, her um husband creating monsters and she just thinks it's bad it's not good for anyone so she's kind of telling him he needs to stop and he's listening to her obviously because that's what married men do they need to listen um to their spouses more we guys are pretty dumb um but eventually dr pretorius goes you know what i'm gonna use this monster and i'm gonna use it to my advantage so what happens is dr pretorius 
He comes back to Henry's manor and blackmails him by having the monster kidnap Elizabeth. But he doesn't tell Henry that Elizabeth uh, or the monster is working with him. He just shows that he has the monster with him. So Henry, obviously, um, being promised that Elizabeth will be set free, um, opts to help Dr. Pretorius. And he, Dr. Pretorius, what he wants to do is create a partner for the monster. He believes that the monster will be happier with the female spouse. Um, mostly he has an ego to just create more life, uh, much like how Henry was in the first movie. Um, but once they arrive to the laboratory, um, they don't have, (laughs) they don't have a working brain. So what they, so what Dr. Pretorius's henchman does is goes into the alley night and takes a woman and kidnaps and kills her basically and takes her, um, heart and, uh, brain and puts it in this new monster. And what happens is that they end up creating life once again for the monster, now the monster just wants now being taught what friend is from the blind man. He wants a new friend, and he knows that Henry and Pretorius are not. Um, but eventually, the monster is created, and Frankenstein's uh, Doctor Frankenstein knows this is no good because the bride of Frankenstein, who's finally appeared, is not very fond of the monster, and the monster starts crying, and it's sad, and he gets mad, and Pretorius is just like. <gasps> The Bride of Frankenstein. And you get this iconic image of the bride standing there with her super cool hairdo and the iconic score there. And it's beautiful. But she shrieks when she sees the monster. And she is not about him at all. Eventually, the monster goes to Henry and says, you need to live, but we all here need to die. Him, his bride, and Dr. Pretorius. Um, And he blows up the laboratory, and the movie ends. Much like the Wolfman, and then also Frankenstein after watching, these Universal Monster movies, I know it's just kind of end abruptly, which isn't bad. Like, older movies fade to black and say the end. I have no problem with that. I mean, there's no more loose ends to go. Um, it feels like a proper sequel ending where it's like maybe the book is closed now. Kind of similar to what the Frankenstein movie did, but they did it a smart way to continue the story in this sequel. So there you have The Bride of Frankenstein. Now there's some subtext in here I really do want to talk about. Um, but before I do that, if you want to watch Bride of Frankenstein, you can watch it on any basic um, Universal Essential Monsters collections like I have here. Um, it usually has Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, Visible Man, Wolfman, Phantom of the Opera, and Creature of the Black Lagoon, and Briar Frankenstein is always included. I watch it also in this legacy collection of Frankenstein that I have, so I definitely recommend that. Um, but the subtext I want to talk about very quickly um, is the flamboyantness of the uh, Dr. Pretorius. He is insane, he's a mad scientist, and his weird attraction to always wanting to be around henry um the thing is 
Henry is like about to be married basically on his honeymoon. And what happens? Dr. Pretorius comes, a man, and tries to steal him away from his woman and says the quotes from the Bible that they need to create as God intended, saying, we man must be fruitful and multiply. Uh, now, obviously, two men cannot have a, a child, um, at least, you know, during this time. And he's using this term where usually when people get married, you know, some things go down, you know, like when you get married to somebody, you want to have, you know, kids. Well, these two men, according to Dr. Pretorius, he doesn't want Henry to be with his wife. He wants him to be with him so they can create life together. Um, so there's like a little subtext there that I, I don't know if it was, if that was properly assessed or not, but I love that. I think it works really well. Uh, mind you, James Whale was uh, a homosexual man, and I feel like he put a lot of little subtext in here. Um, another one as well is when uh, the blind man and um, Frankenstein monster together. They kind of like are a uh, same-sex couple. They are living together. You know, the blind man is taking care of the monster. He's feeding him. He's They're arguing in a cute way. He's tucking him in and holding his arm. And, you know, you just kind of start to wonder, it's like, oh, so, like, they live together. They're, you know, the, the blind man even prays to God, thanking him for bringing him a partner. And it just seems too on the nose in a way, but I don't have a problem with it. I'm just saying, like, I think Mis Mr. Whale was making a, a point of reference there, which I really like. And when you notice how they end their relationship is by two outsiders seeing them living together and getting mad now yes they have to be upset and have to stop it because the monster's a monster and is being hunted for but if you took and stripped away that this person this monster is a monster it's a man living with another man and getting close and you know touching his mouth and you know he's a hermit who lives alone you could see it as the outside society not agreeing with the same sex living arrangement um so I, I, I thought that was really good stuff there. Um, I always think of like the the homosexual subtext in like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which I absolutely love. It's my favorite in the franchise. And I kind of see some things like that in a way, and I love that. Um, also, when you notice the bride of Frankenstein finally seeing Frankenstein monster, she's not about him. She shrieks and she's scared. And... And then Frankenstein goes friend, and she's not about it. He tries to get close, and she was rejecting him. A female rejecting a male um, after two men had created him uh, or her. So you can kind of see a little bit more there of, the, of a homosexual man, the director, rejecting the woman and return wanting a man. Uh, I think is a little bit more, like, used. Like, I, I feel like it was put there on a purpose. If Mr. Whale did not mean that, then I think he did a really good job of conveying that in a way. Um, one other thing I noticed when watching this movie is the Christian subtext. Now, this is a 1934 film. Um, I don't know if this is pre-code or not, but um, it really pushed the envelope in terms of the criticism of religion, especially Christianity. You see the two men, the blind man and Frankenstein, sharing um, bread and wine together just like in church um, for Christians, they eat, they eat bread because it's the body of Christ and they drink wine to represent the blood of Christ. And these two men are doing that together. Is that like a mockery of sorts of this monster made by man, <laughs> you know, uh, basically doing the same thing of like what people at a church do? Also, there's a 
almost purposely placed cross in the graveyard where Frankenstein escapes the burning hut where there's the there's you know the image of Christ there on the cross and him going down to the grave basically to show that this monster is risen from the grave kind of like Jesus rose from the grave in a way um but I don't know maybe I'm looking too into it <laughs> but I think that's fascinating like you know this movie has a lot more to say and obviously the unholy marriage of two undead things does not work out um and then obviously there's a lot of quotes in the bible and that one is like the be fruitful and multiply and like the man basically henry frankenstein and dr pretorius were disregarding the notion that that god is the only one who can create but man can too so they're ironically using quotes from the bible um almost in a mockery which is i have no problem with that i think it's great i'm just eating my popcorn and watching this unfold um obviously the blind man is praying to god and thanking him for this for this man this this monster man that he assumes because he doesn't know he's a monster he he just knows it's a man <laughs> so it's like wow that's that's really smart stuff um so obviously i'm just going to go into what my thoughts are on this movie so it's an early sequel and I didn't even know sequels like I, I didn't know sequels like this existed this early on in filmmaking. And it is so well regarded. You go on Rotten Tomatoes, you go to forum groups, when you talk about early horror movies that you love, especially the Universal Monster movies, everyone loves the Bride of Frankenstein. I think that's so cool. Um, I actually really like the movie a lot. I, I, I think the movie looks amazing. Boris Karloff gives a great performance. Um, the actor who plays Henry Frankenstein and the actor who plays Dr. Pretorius are gushingly awesome. And I love the score. It is so beautiful. It's iconic. I, I remember watching Small Soldiers and the Frankenstein monster on the TV screen. Joe Dante, Small Soldiers, mind you. And you hear that score that's so beautiful and elegant, but also scary at the same time. Um, I just absolutely love it. However, um, I do like the Frankenstein the original from 1931 a little bit more than The Bride of Frankenstein, but that doesn't mean I don't like the movie and it's not a great movie. I still think it's a great, great sequel and a great movie in its own right. I mean, that's probably the reason why it's included in almost every essential monster, Universal Monster movie box set. Instead, you know, when you have to get the legacy collections for all these other monsters to even get the sequels, but Frankenstein gets his sequel in like The Essentials, so it's a must-watch, and I definitely recommend that this movie is a must-watch. Um, when we're, when we continue this podcast, we're going to start to notice a few tropes, some, 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 some blue, like some check marks that this movie, that movies highlight, at least from their, um, for each sequel to sequel. Um, and some of those trademarks are replacement of actors. I definitely noticed that the Elizabeth actress from the first Frankenstein movie is replaced in this second movie. In fact, her hair color is even different. She's a brunette in this one, but she was blonde in the first one, and it's a different actress. So that'll be something that's obviously noticed. Um, it, it, it continues right after the first movie, which, I mean, when you watch sequels, you see that all the time. Aliens did that. Uh, but yeah, so Rocky Two did that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of sequels that just continue right after the second one. Nightmare on Elm Street 2 kind of does in a way. And Elm Street 3, the Friday the 13th series. Um, they usually continue off after that. So um, I really like that part. Um, this sequel is a little bit more campier. It's a little more lighthearted. A lot of times sequels are that. They're not as serious as maybe the first ones are. Um, also, there's a few things that were from the original that they brought back in the sequel, which you'll see it a lot of times in movies. So like the henchman in the first movie is killed by the Frankenstein monster. 
Dr. Pretorius has two henchmen, and they're killed off by Frankenstein again in this movie. Uh, another one being um, the you know the same iconic thing of bringing the dead back to life. They do it again in the sequel with bringing the bride of Frankenstein. Uh, obviously, there's more kills in this sequel, and when you see horror movies, that's usually the case in sequels as well. Um, and they have very similar sets that are from the first movie. So the, the castle is still the same. The village looks the same in the sequel like it did in the original. So um, there's some trademarks there you'll definitely notice in sequels to come when we talk about them. So um, definitely recommend Bride of Frankenstein. I had such a great time watching it. I cannot believe it took me that long um, to finally watch this movie. But I'm so glad I did. So you heard it here from uh, inside the sequel. You have to watch Bride of Frankenstein. It's essential. Uh, But you know what? That has to do it for today's uh, first episode. Um, I want to know what are your thoughts on this movie? Uh, Do you like sequels? If you do, I really recommend you reach out to me. You can follow me on Twitter at HurtasticChris. I'll put a link of that down below. Um, You can follow me at the Hurtastic Reviews YouTube channel. Um, You can also email the show as well. You can email me. Let me get that email for you. This is my first time, everyone. I'm sorry. But email the show at sequelpod at gmail.com. Again, that is the sequelpod at gmail.com. Link of that down below as well. Um, But thank you all for watching. And like I said, my name is Chris here at Inside the Sequel, a sequel cinema podcast. And all I have to say is thank you all for listening. And remember, if you don't like sequels, do you really care about cinema? Until next time on Inside the Sequel. Thank you.